0: For listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Thy kingdom come like on earth. Hey, thanks for joining us today. It's nice to see Chairs that are filled on a snow-filled Hoosier Sunday. But if you're a Hoosier, then a couple inches of snow is nothing. Amen? Amen. And if you're not in the room with us today, if you're joining us online, hey, we're, we're glad you're here, but it isn't the same as being here. And even though you might be in your pajamas, in your bed, or on your couch drinking coffee, and nice and warm and comfortable under your blanket, it's still not the same. It's better in the house, just so you know. But thanks for joining us. We are in a series, Thy like Kingdom Come, and today we're going to talk about passions. And I want you to know that I do not select What I'm going to preach next, we're just preaching line by line through the Sermon on the Mount. But what I find, and I hope you find, that this is super relevant to where we live. That first century was hearing these words for the first time, but they are totally relevant and practical and helpful and hopeful for us that live in the 21st century. Saying all of that, we live in an information age, and I kind of love it. I love the technology. I like the computers. I was in a class. I'm taking a class right now. And I was helping a fellow traveler with his brand new Chromebook. And some of the kids who were in the class were watching the old man help another old man out. But I'm grateful that we have it. I like to be able to Google things. I like to be able to YouTube things because I break fewer things when I try to fix them when I have YouTube otherwise. But we all know that technology fails, that man is not the measure of all things. Humanism doesn't work. And Jesus is telling us that in in the Sermon on the Mount. He's basically telling us that Man is not the measure of all things, and the only way to be satisfied is, and to be fully human, is in Christ and in His teachings. Because knowledge in and of itself is not enough, is it? There's something greater. And even with more knowledge and information, it would seem that we would live happier and happier, more fulfilled lives. And we can look across the United States and around the world and say, mm, you know, it's not working. We're probably more divided, even with more information, less happy, more demanding, more angry than we've ever been. Amen? Yeah. And Jesus is actually turning everything upside right in the first century. And we too need that in the 21st century. And that's so very important. So as we come to the scripture today, Matthew chapter 5, I want to kind of backtrack into last week because I, I just want to kind of help you understand where Jesus is coming from. And this has particular application for me. Because he's saying in verse in, in verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying to the people in that first century that were around him on that mount by the Sea of Galilee, He was saying, unless you exceed the religious professional leaders of the day, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And I would have to say, if I had been there and you had been there, you'd say, well, what's the point? We could never achieve this. We could never be good enough. In fact, those guys, they not only lived the law, but they made more laws to make Make laws to live the law that we cannot even live now. And Jesus was basically cutting to the heart in this situation and saying, even though they know the law, their hearts are far from me. Because if they would have understood the law, they would understand the heart of the law. But in fact, they were lost in legalism. And legalism is a trap even today. And it is the kryptonite of grace. If you think about it, legalism kills grace. And Jesus was preaching a gospel of grace. Now today, I'm going to be preaching about something that is not super, what do I want to say? It's not something that I would desire to speak into to please you. In fact, I probably wouldn't preach it except for it is in line. And I'm just following the scripture verse by verse because we're a church that believes the Bible and preaches the Bible. And some people have said, well, Chris, you're a pretty bold preacher. and <laughs> I just laughed and I said, no, the Bible is bold. I'm just saying what the Bible says because Jesus speaks to the heart. And this is what we need to hear now. Everyone has been affected by anger or lust. So have you been affected by anger or lust? Raise your hand. All right. And if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. (laughs) You might say that's bold. No, that's just the truth. That's just the truth. We've all been affected by anger and lust in a negative way. In fact, we're so familiar and it's so pervasive in our culture, in our society, even in our homes, is that we just don't see it or feel it anymore. We've become accustomed to the environment, in other words. But but as I preach this, as we go throughout what Jesus teaches, he has this thing going on that you're going to see over and over again as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to repeat after me. You have heard it said... But I say to you to you And this is what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice the next verse he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now Jesus is quoting the Old Testament in Exodus. Chapter 20. I think it's verse 13 or 14. It's not coming up on my slide. So I can't remember. Oh, no, it's not there yet. You shall not murder. Sixth command. And, and Jesus is saying something about that sixth command that you shall not murder. And in fact, it's right after honor your fathers and mothers and that, that your days may go well and you will be blessed. That's This is the sixth command. But Jesus raises the ante here and he says this. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. Now, this is really, really powerful. Jesus is raising the annie and he's talking about the escalation of anger. Now, you would probably agree with this general statement that our culture is an angry culture. Now, we have guests with us today and maybe you're uh, on, uh, online with us today, but we have this thing on Facebook. It's called Brazil Chatter. <laughs> Why do you laugh? Now, is that hateful? Is it negative? Primarily, not always. But think about the social media and the media in general. Does it kind of stir up your frustration and your expectations and and your anger? Doesn't it? And aren't we all kind of just riding along and, and our anger is just kind of barely below the surface at times? And we really need something different to to de-escalate, to make our society less anxious because we live in an anxiety-filled and depressive society. And and when you think about anger, you you know, what is anger? Anger is a spontaneous feeling that arises in our mind and felt in our body when our will is confronted or obstructed. Anger is just... Frustration when we don't get our way. And frustration is another term for anger. If you're frustrated, you're probably angry. If you're annoyed, have you known some people that were just annoyed in general? They're just annoyed all the time. Isn't that annoying? (laughs) It is. I don't like to be around annoyed, frustrated, angry people. kind of brings me down. It's not helpful. It's not hopeful. I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I don't think it's thought out. I think it's just an emotion. They don't know what they're doing. And at that point, I I just kind of say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And it's sad. But let let me encourage you by this. So if you're feeling like, well, I'm the only one that's angry. Jesus got angry. You know that? Jesus got angry. And then the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, he says in verse 26, be, be be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now don't take this literally that you're not going to solve every problem, but you can take and get rid of that emotion of anger. Don't let it go down with the sun. Don't go to bed angry. Solve that, resolve to make it right. But don't let that emotion eat you up. But I want you to notice something, that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is not saying, don't be angry. Why do you think he does that? Because anger is an emotion. We experience anger. There are frustrating things. There are things that don't meet our expectation. But don't let it rule you. Now, in Scripture, there are two types of anger. There's thumos, which is the intense flash of anger. maybe when you have road rage and somebody cuts you off, you get angry. Now, when, when, when this, this is anger that you naturally get angry, but you don't hold on to. You let it go. But argizo means to be filled with anger to brew over. This is harboring that anger, that it becomes a part of your spirit, that it just dwells and boils and lives inside of you. And maybe you're like the Incredible Hulk who said, my secret isn't that I'm angry. Actually, my secret is that I am always angry. And I want to lean into you, if you're a Christian and you're always angry, I need to encourage you and say, That's not the way we are supposed to live. There's a better way. Dallas Willard says it this way. If you find someone who has embraced anger, you will likely find a person nursing an emotional wound. That we've been hurt. There's been a loss. There's been trauma. Maybe we're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder in some area of our life. But if we're boiling, there's a problem. And I want you to back up in scripture and look at this verse at what Jesus said. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this is interesting because how many of us have said they're just an idiot? they're an imbecile, they're a fool. I mean, how stupid can you be? Have we all done that? If you haven't, then and I want to know how you do it because Jesus is convicting me in this situation. But, but really, we have to do some soul searching here and say, listen, this is a human being. They may not understand what they're doing. They may not have the intelligence or the ability but at the same time, we need to value them. And so Jesus corrects us. And so he, 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 in some passage or in some translations, this is how he says it. He says, instead of thou fool, it's raka. Say raka with me. Okay. So let's say that again, raka. Now you've cussed twice in Aramaic today. <laughs> raka is actually a four-letter word. I know it's all my fault. I caused you to sin. I'm going to confess it. Please forgive me. But it's a four-lettered word. It means empty-minded. And Jesus again is raising the bar and saying, this is a problem. And then he says, you're in danger of hell of fire, which the term here is Gehenna. And if you know anything about Jerusalem, Old Jerusalem, Gehenna was the place of burning, of trash, of refuge. It stunk. It burned consistently. It was awful. They took dead animals there and carcasses. They buried the poor there or didn't bury them. They just rotted. It, in fact, was the place where they offered children in the fire in worship of the God of Chemosh and Molech as Israel had fallen away. Historically, it was an awful place. And Jesus is comparing that place to the literal hell that we see, which is a place of judgment, of continual eternal torment. And Jesus is giving us safeguards and checks in the area of anger to prevent it from escalating in our lives. Because nobody just wakes up one day and murders someone. Nobody does that. In fact, there are stages of anger Escalating, And if you're following along in notes, I had somebody write me a note last week about how fast I go and how fast the slides go. So I'm going to try to take it slow, but I just want you to know that we are online and it's on demand. So if you miss the notes, you can fill them in. If not, If you miss the notes, come to me after the service and I will help you fill them in. But also, I may make some copies of our, my sermon just with the notes filled in. I, haven't, I didn't get it done this week. But from now on, I'll have some copies available for you copious note-takers, which I am one, and I would be as frustrated as well. Maybe even angry about it. <laughs> but stage one, stage one of this escalating anger. Number one, we feel the emotion of anger. We feel it. And we need to identify that. I am angry, I am frustrated, I am annoyed. All that and more says I'm angry. So don't deny it, accept it. That's, I'm angry about this. But also, the danger is denying it. I'm not that angry. Well, your face and your tone and your voice and your words all say that you're angry. Or minimize it. Well, that's okay, everybody's angry. Everybody gets really angry all the time. Everybody's just, you know, all we're angry. No, that's not okay. Stage two, your ego is wounded. Your expectations haven't been met. Your needs haven't been fulfilled. You're hurt. And you increase in hostile self-talk. You increase in that passive aggressive talk inside your spirit. That's what's going on. I, I want you to know, I was at a cohort meeting on Thursday, and uh, our grandson, Marshall, is in daycare, and, and about every day, I get about 10, 15 minutes with him that I enjoy, and we're typically out in the foyer, but he's discovered my office, and I have a lot of playthings that he likes to touch in my office, and he likes to pick up the phone and, and talk to it, and uh, you know, just kind of all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I was busy on Thursday, and I wasn't here, and so his needs weren't met, his expectations weren't met. He was frustrated because Pop Pop didn't pick him up and take him down to his office. And so he was crying. He was frustrated as any three year old would be. And so my daughter, who likes to FaceTime me with him, and so she FaceTime me and says, where are you at? Well, I'm driving down 70, probably breaking the law, talking to you on FaceTime. Well, Marshall is upset because Pop-Pop's not there in his office like he's supposed to be. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I was doing my job. But, but, But a lot of times, folks, our anger is like this child that the needs aren't getting met. And we're throwing a little fit. We need to stop and evaluate what's going on. Stage three. You play the self-righteous victim. And there's more frequent and intense anger. And instead of taking responsibility for our actions and situation, we allow it to bubble up even more. Stage four, you have contempt for the other person. You villainize them. They are the awfulest, most Terrible, no good human being, and it's all their fault. You ever do that? Rather than owning your share or your part, you're playing the victim, and they are the villain. Stage five. Verbal aggression it doesn't go it goes from passive aggressive to verbally aggressive And You might be talking to some person sometime and you don't know even it's all under the surface But but you say something and they're triggered and guess what you got a raging lunatic on your hands is just going off You're thinking where did this come from? I thought you were a normal rational logical human being because it's bubbling up. And stage six is violence. Verbal, emotional, physical, psychological violence. And then stage seven is when it all falls apart. It it becomes hell on earth, like Jesus describes it. It's divorce, it's going to court, it's being arraigned. And then stage eight is jail or termination or loss of family or loss of life or guilt, shame, and depression. And I know if you're an outline filler, I've just blown your mind and you can't keep up. And I'm frustrated. you. Please, you know, just come to me personally and I'll, and I'll help you. Dallas Willard says it this way. There isn't anything that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. We need to watch our words, our emotions, our actions, because they are not honoring God, and they're not helpful, and they're not hopeful. But there is a way of handling things, where you find a mutual purpose, and you work toward a common good, and you are direct and not passive, and you are assertive, but not aggressive, and you use kind words, To deal with situations. Jesus goes on and says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. This is an opportunity, maybe when you come to church on Sunday, maybe when you're at communion, maybe when you come to bring an offering, that you are checked in your spirit and God whispers something into your mind and into your heart and say, this is not right. I need to get right with this person. And maybe you've already tried that, and maybe you need to go and do it again. You know, I've been in reconciliation situations where I've spent over 40 hours trying to reconcile with a person and it never worked out. And at other times, I've went directly to them and it worked out great. So there's no guarantees. But Jesus is saying this, that your relationship with God is tied up with your relationship with other people. Because Jesus is reminding us that we need to love God and we need to love people. In in uh, First Peter, it says... Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, there's something that's going on in our relationships that also affects our vertical relationship with God. And Jesus goes on to say, Come to terms with your accuser, While you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now some people believe that means that you're not supposed to sue your Christian brother. And, And it might mean that. But really I think Jesus is saying here, He's getting to the heart of the matter is that you, when you have an issue with someone, you need to go to them directly right away and talk about it. Now, maybe you let the emotion subside, but you deal with it as positively and helpfully and hopefully as you can, giving the other person the benefit of the doubt and talking to them directly. Paul, in Romans 12, 18, says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as you can within yourself, you can't control the other party, but live peaceably with all people. And then Jesus ramps up. He says, You have heard That it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we go from anger to adultery, which I find fascinating because I do think in some ways they are linked. And then we go to the seventh command, which is in Exodus, I think, 2015, I think, or 14, if I remember right. And, And he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. But he ramps it up again because he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now, I want to caution you with this idea of lustful intent that Jesus is not talking about the appreciation of beauty. In fact, we are psychologically, neurologically, biologically wired to appreciate beauty of the uh, opposite sex. So if you see someone and you are aroused and say, wow, that's an attractive person, that's not sin. That is temptation. It's what you do in that second moment that makes it sin. And then again, Jesus again is talking to our heart about the heart And he's talking about lustful intent, which is that second and third and where our minds go. Martin Luther, the great church reformist, said this, We should not make the bowstring of Jesus' teaching too tight here, as if anyone who was ever tempted to look at another with lust was eternally damned. I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. We live in a culture where if you give a kid a smartphone, you've given him a pornographic magazine. Back in the day, it used to be in a drugstore on a bookshelf, but not today. It's on the media, it's in the reels, it's in TikTok. In fact, there are whole sites and apps dedicated for, to pornography and the whole idea of lustful intent. And our culture says that's okay, but it's destroying marriages and families and relationships. And, and the question is, are we being ruled by desire rather than being rulers over it? And our society basically says this: the heart wants what it wants. So go ahead and indulge and allow yourself to be caught up in this addiction. But that's not what the Bible says, and that's what not what that is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying guard your heart, because otherwise these addictions will destroy you. Paul writes in First Corinthians thirteen. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not boastful. You see, love is about the long term, and lust is about the short term. Love is about the other, and lust is about the self. Love is about making things better and enduring. And lust is just about the here and now. And unfortunately, in our culture and in our day, I love you means I want to have sex with you. And that's not what it was ever intended to be. See, the great commandment is, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. The great commandment is about loving others well. Jesus goes on and he says this, and this is pretty, pretty radical, extreme, and it's hyperbole, but some people think it's literal. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body is thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, the truth is, we'd be a bunch of uh, one-eyed, one-armed Christians, wouldn't we? And, And Jesus never intended that because he could have said, hey, you know, there are other parts of our body that have more to do with immorality and those could have been cut off. But he doesn't say that, does he? Because you could be angry and you could lust... With one eye or with one arm or with body parts missing, can't we? So he's speaking to us from a heart position and he's saying, don't be angry, deal with your anger. Well, you, you, you will be angry, deal with your anger in a positive way. You're going to lust, but realize That this is harming your heart and your soul. And it's super important. It's just like it's cutting off parts of your life. I don't know if you were ever a fan of Tiger Woods. But I can remember Tiger Woods when he first just started out. And it was all about this Buddhism and Taoism. And he kind of had this new agey thing kind of going on. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to work, Tiger. And so, I mean, he won some major championships. And I don't know, you, 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 I haven't been a golfer in about 10 years, but if there was anything, any sport that I could be addicted to, it was golf. I, was, I played all the time in my younger days. And I still could. And so I was following his life. And, you know, what, what you don't know about Tiger was that when he was going to all those junior uh, golf events when he was a kid, his dad had a Winnebago, and he took him around. And if it weren't for his dad, he probably wouldn't have become the what I think the greatest of all time golfers, the best of the best. But what you don't know is uh, as his dad was taking him around to all these golfing events, he had the Winnebago. And so when Tiger was out on the course, his dad was with other women and was unfaithful over and over and over again. It was serial relationships, sexual encounters. And Tiger knew it and it destroyed him because he didn't have the boundaries that he didn't didn't have the word of God and so if you, you follow this documentary about Tiger you, you or you follow sports you, you know that when his dad died the will fell off and Tiger became a womanizing cheater who had a family and kids and uh If you remember, the big event was that his wife that was a model was chasing him through the subdivision with a golf club. I said it was a driver, but I was corrected at first service. It was a nine iron. And uh, she was beating the windshield. And obviously his life fell apart because the anger and the loss and the immorality and the lust finally caught up. And basically, he had to rebuild his life. You know, folks, God's Word is always true. And you might think I'm picking on Tiger. I don't mean to. It's just, to me, a case study of how life is without Jesus Christ. It's how life is without the Word of God, without the Holy Spirit of God. And and Jesus can change anybody's life. If you're watching online or if you're here present and you're struggling, hey, join the club. Because we're saved by grace through faith. We're going to fail. But Christ made a way. And he can deliver and he can save and he can heal. And his grace is sufficient. His blood covers all sin. Not just some sin. So, thy kingdom come. On earth, will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are reminded how great a God you are, that your word is always true, that you came to save, deliver, and heal, you came to give us abundant life and deliver us from sin. And Father, we are a broken people without you, and we are broken persons without the Lord Jesus Christ, and only. By your grace, through faith, are we saved. Only by the Spirit of God living and residing and reigning in us can we be delivered. And Father, that is the only way we can live out your word. And Father, we're just thankful that you guide us, that you protect us, that you deliver us. And Father, for those that need that today, I pray that they would come. For those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives, I pray they would confess him that they would repent, they would be baptized into him. And Father, that you would do your work that only you can do. And we trust in you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you come this morning?